Hello, everybody. Surprise. I'm here today on Thursday. And you know, you never know when you're going to see me. So <laughs> the only solution is to follow C. Lee Bowman on LinkedIn. And I welcome all of you guys to come and follow me. So this is CB Live on Thursday. And you know, on Thursdays, we either do workplace equity and equality, or in this case, hmm, what did I name this? I'm getting confused. Um, uh, CB Bowman Live. Uh, thought leaders and social media influencers. I think I got it right. You got it. That's right. Send me a note, right? <laughs> so, guys, are you getting all set for July 4th? Very exciting, right? This year we'll be able to actually go out and celebrate. So, what do we have today? Well, you know how I always give you a secret, right? Well, today's secret is the secret sauce behind many well-known authors. Mm, what does that mean? We have Bruce as our guest. And Bruce is a ghostwriter. I've, never, I've always wanted to meet a ghostwriter. Because you know what? I have so many books inside me, and they never hit the paper. So let's find out all about how ghostwriters write, what do they charge? What do they ask? What do you, do you really actually have to write the book yourself? But here's the thing. Ghostwriters make thought leaders and social media influences powerful and popular because that book actually gets right up, written and published. Unlike mine that I've been working on for 20 years. So I'm so excited to bring on Bruce. Bruce, welcome to CB Bowman Live. Thank you, CB. It's nice to talk to you again and nice to be here. <laughs> Great. So the first thing let's do, where are you located? I'm in Park City, Utah, okay. 7,000 feet high. Uh, is that higher than Colorado? It, well, I mean, it depends where in Colorado you are, but it's lower than some and higher than some, but it's pretty high. It's, you know, so to live, because then you go up the mountain, you know, when. Yeah, yeah. We've got the same deal going. You know, I think, though, we own the name the Mile High City. You do, and that's okay. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> fighting for it, but, you know. <laughs> Just teasing. Hey, so. First, Bruce, tell us about how you got to where you are before we examine where you are and what you do. Okay, well, um, I accidentally fought and, and every step of the way to get to what I do today. I used to be a speaker, I used to be an entrepreneur, I've done many, many things. And in 2006, um, someone figured out that my first book which I wrote for myself, it was about personalization. I wrote in three months. And and they had hired a ghostwriter who spent six months and wrote one chapter and they were in a bind, they had three months left. So they called me up and they said, if, if we introduced you to 20 public CEOs, would you interview them and write a book in three months? And um, I'm sure you're gonna introduce me to all these CEOs. So I took three months 
and did that. And, um, and it was, I didn't even know it existed. You know, I mean, it was like, Hey, this is fun. You know, I met really well-known successful leaders and then, um, went back to my normal life. And then, uh, maybe 10 years what, ago. What was your normal life at that point? I was speaking about how to personalize customer relationships. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so, and um, I was one of the early people in, in what was then called one-to-one -one marketing that be became personalization. So, mm -hmm. and then about 10 years ago, as social media became a thing, um, every now and then someone would send me a note saying, do you ever help people write on social media? You know, so like, could you help me on LinkedIn or Forbes or Inc. or something? And for a year, I said, no, you know, I don't do that. I, that's not what I do. And then finally, I was like, wait a minute. So you're going to pay me to talk to you and then take, you know, an hour or two and write down what you said. And then I could like go skiing and come back and talk to somebody else. And, and, I, and it finally dawned on me that this – I. It happened that when I moved from Colorado, from Connecticut to Utah, that's when all this was happening. And I, so I started thinking more and more, wait a minute, in the summer I could go mountain biking, in the winter I could go skiing and talk to three, four, five people a day. So that that's what I do. 95% of what I do today is, is on social media. So it's short form. Maybe once a year I'll help somebody with a book. But um, I have too many clients right now to, to just focus on one. So I, I, I work with entrepreneurs, and um, but the more important part, and this is the part that no one gets until they actually see or talk to me, is ghostwriting is, it's like a camouflage. It's a secret identity. Not a secret, it's my public identity. Because what I really do is I talk to people about what matters most. And once a week, we have a conversation about what matters most, which then I turn into a post or an article. But that practice, that stopping once a week to say what matters most to me and to have somebody else that kind of push back a little bit and say, well, I don't understand that. Or seriously, like you tell me you're fine, but you've got this look on your face like this. And so I ask you, you don't seem fine. <laughs> Sorry. But, and that that is, I never saw that coming, but that drives my practice is it's such a profound practice for anybody to take time once a week to say what really matters most to me, what matters so much that I want everybody in my network to know it. And that's that's the essence of what I do. So Bruce, you're like, um, I'm gonna coin a new term. You're a literary psychologist. <laughs> I love that actually. I've been trying to come up with a term, so I love that. I'm actually, hold on, I'm gonna write that down. Um, now, I have to tell you, that's one of the, the new businesses I'm starting is I have this weird brain that comes up with this kind of stuff. So I I'm love that. Oh. Uh, solopreneurs who are dependent on one income expand mm -hmm. their income range. So it's called scaling up your business. Wow. Yeah. 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 No, it's, it's, it, I need a name. I, I don't have a name. And you can use it. Be okay, much. thank you. I'll, I'll do an asterisk. You're going to owe me. <laughs> I'll, I'll asterisk it and say designed by C.B. Bowman. I'm okay with that. So, uh, yeah, no, it's so, it's so, um, most of us go through life kind of sort of awake. And I don't mean that overly negative. We just don't really know 
what we're trying to do, why we know, okay, I want to get promoted. I want to get another speech. I want to be the boss. I, you know, want to double our revenues, but why, you know, and, 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 and what really, you know, push comes to shove. If you lost everything, you started over again, you know, you had to respond to a great opportunity, a great challenge. What do you, what do you really care about? And, and, and why are you actually doing this? Cause a lot of us are doing things because I don't know, it's like, look, I told you I fought for a year what I really should have been doing 20 years ago. You know, you know you're actually bringing up a very serious subject. Um, you know, we're taking Simon Sinek's work now, and we're talking about applying it uh, not just to business. I think he's been, it's, Simon's work is more associated with business. But now we're talking about identifying your personal why. Mm. and putting it to words. And that really is a literary psychologist. Um, right. You know, when, when I think, of, think about myself, I started the Association of Corporate Executive Coaches about eight years ago. And it's, I'm so proud of it. I'm so lucky to be uh, in the same company as some really all great coaches because it's for master level coaches. Mm -hmm. And, and then when this thing with Floyd came out, I decided that I was going to open a company called We, which is working with people in a non-shame, non-blame format for training organizations. And how do you start a program? How do you start the discussion? Right. right? But recently, I've realized that uh, while this is very exciting, what I have been doing, much like you, and somebody told me this, because I didn't even see it, is CB, everything that you do is about scaling up your business. And I said, what are you talking about? ACEC is for coaches. And she said, no. What you preach is that coaches need to have more than one source of income because mm -hmm. they're solopreneurs. And I said, absolutely. And then she said, and when you're talking about workplace equity and equality, you're talking about the income side of inclusion, the wealth side. So you're talking about scaling up there. So what, what are you doing here? Right. Right. Let's go with scaling up your business. And I, like you, went through, how did I miss that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> wrong with me <laughs> well but th there's a key point there which is that we think that we can just figure out our own path ourselves and you know you want to be self-sufficient and capable and responsible and it is the hardest thing that one of my i mean so long ago i, I worked for ogilvy made the, the ad agency oh yeah the big and that was when the web was just starting ibm was our client and we're we're responsible for redefining IBM's brand as well as IBM's web presence and all this. And our website looks like you know a two-year-old designed it. And and we never had the time, you know, to stop working to fix it. And we didn't have a good because you know with IBM you could spend six months and a hundred people to analyze the essence of the brand and brand stewardship and all that. For yourself, you, you're not going to take that much time. You have to make a, a earn a living, right. and it's and you don't have the self insight. You don't know like why do people actually hire me? It's a very difficult 
question answered, which is why any sort of interaction, talking like this, talking to somebody, having a coach, having you know a literary psychologist, whatever it is, everybody needs it. I mean, the smartest people I know are not necessarily smart when it comes to you know how are they perceived and why are people you know sometimes people pay you because you have influence or they pay you because their colleague paid you yeah, and, you know, yeah. So. yeah you know it's so interesting because um the woman who helped me identify that we had a meeting today and she said i said how's your week going which is colorado question right <laughs> everybody says how's your week going when i first moved here i'm like what the heck <laughs> right what do you care how my why, why do you care yeah right yeah. Well, what's in it for you right. i've since learned it's a polite uh way right. to talk to people yeah. so i said to her how's your week going and she said ah oh. i'm like it's all good but it's just you know too much and i said okay so instead of having a meeting today to talk about scaling up your business. Why don't we talk? Why don't you talk? Tell me what's happening. And I mean, it was a wonderful dialogue because we came up with new names, new identified. Now, ironically, this is what she had done for me two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. But doing it for herself, she needed somebody to talk to about, you know, this. And so I totally agree with you. I don't care how successful you are. How you could be Bill Gates. And clearly we know he needed to talk. Well, he needs some help now, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. Bill. Yeah. Uh, not that he's listening to this, but it just goes to show you need somebody to talk to who's not gonna be a yes person but who's gonna be a person who thinks with you and thinks, and at the same time, thinks different from you, mm -hmm. right? So, so I, I, I tell people that my best skill is not writing, that my best skill is listening and asking questions. It's not yeah. writing. It's yeah. easy to write at the end if you did those two things. Yeah. And, and so like that little voice in my head that like, why did she say that? Why, what, you know, is there something, you know, like, like, like you did with your friend, like you seem, you know, something is the most of us, well, not, I would say most of us, most of the time we go right by those things. You come in six people in a meeting, like, okay, what are we going to talk about? You, you don't even want to, you see that look in someone's eyes. You don't even want to, you don't want to stop because then he's going to start telling you about, all this other stuff. You just want to have your meeting and, and go because you got another meeting in 22 minutes. And But, you know, th that's why setting up however you do it, time where you can, and by the way, you know, there are people who go away on, you know, um, Harry Kramer, who's the Baxter uh, CEO, and, and, you know, he, he goes on this three or four days silent retreat, you know, once a year. And you can do that. And you know, I haven't done it at this point, but. Wait, what's a silent retreat? He goes to like a monastery for three or four days once a year and is in silence. Harry does? Yeah, there's a, there's a, he told, I, I heard him give a speech that's very, I thought it was funny. So he's been going 
every year for 30 years in his parlance with the same bunch of guys. And, and one year his wife said to him, you know, can we, could you switch the date that you go on the silent retreat? Because, you know, we have something else, some other obligation. I'd like you to come with me. And he's like, honey, I, I can't do it. I, I've been going with the same guy for 30 years. And she says, you never talk to these people ever. Why does it matter? But no, he's, he feels affinity with these same people, even though he has never had a conversation with them because it's a silent retreat. That is wild. I've got to talk to him about this. Well, so he, he, his book, uh, Year 168, is great because it, it, it talks so much about, um, you know, kind of having a strong sense of that's your 168 is how many hours there are in the week and how are you going to spend them because they're treasure. And, 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 you know, so Harry has this practice of every night before he goes to sleep, he takes 15 or 20 minutes, assesses how he did that day and what he might do differently tomorrow. Then he, to use his own words, he, he sleeps like a baby because he's not, you know, spinning something in his head. He's already gone through that. And, and it's the same thing. It doesn't really matter as long as you do it repeatedly. You know, why am I doing what am I doing? You know, how is it working for me? Could I do better? However you want to do that. And, but I think the key thing is, is that don't let yourself be deluded. Like don't let yourself have the same voice in your head, the same Bruce, great job. Great job. You're the best. You're the best. You know, as opposed to saying, like, if you push back on me respectfully, but push back on me and say, Bruce, that sounds like, you know, I don't know, I'm having trouble processing what you're saying. It seems a little bit superficial. It, it, if I respect you, I'm going to, I'm going to think about it. I'm going to try and, again, to put into words how it is that I'm feeling. That is unbelievably powerful. However you choose to do that, it's, it's like a superpower. I think, you know, I know for myself, I know that I should be doing that, but then I think, eh, you're too good. You don't have to do this. And then when okay. somebody else says it for me, I'm like, but why didn't I think of that? Well, yeah. maybe because you thought you were too good to go through that process, right? right? I mean, it's really, when you stop and think about it, Bruce, it's a very difficult process to do. You sit down at night and you think, mm -hmm. Okay, why am I doing this instead of that? And what do I expect the outcome to be? And so people like me, I'm a builder type. I jump first before I, I right. figure out where I'm going to land. I'm going to say, don't worry about it. You got this. You know the treehouse analogy? What's that? There's two types of people when it comes to building treehouses. There's people who sit down with like plans and they got the draw it all out and then these people just start nailing wood to a tree you know and you're the nail the wood to the tree person yeah yeah absolutely to me to spend time to process this whole thing you could have been done with it already and be actually in the moment experiencing it and making changes as you go right? so so you you just did a superb job of explaining why i have a career because so many people like my send so my me, send me the check for advertising. <laughs> right, another benefit. My my client base are all entrepreneurs, and they most of them do not like to sit in a room by themselves and say, "How could I do better?" You know, like it yeah. just doesn't feel. But 
So they think they're signing up for social media support. And, you know, and they're willing to talk to like their people out there in the world. They're, they're happy to do that. They want more engagement. They want more reach, all this stuff. And under that umbrella, they're willing to sit down for half an hour once a week. And they are willing to take seriously, okay, what is it that's going to be interesting enough and important enough to tell the world? So they're still in the, I can justify this time and, and, and expense. But then, because you have to, like, I have to be able to put into words how you feel. So I, so you don't get offended, you don't get upset, you don't get impatient. If I say to you, CP, you know, I don't really understand. Like, I understand, so I could say it kind of, but I won't do justice. So can you tell me, tell me how that works? Or give me an example. Or, and, and by, you understand the reason that I have to keep nudging you. But at the same time, I therefore get to ask you, I, so I'll give you a specific example. If I talk to someone, I always tape and transcribe conversations with my clients and they know I'm doing this. So if I talk to you for half an hour, you're going to say about five or 6,000 words. And I need to do, let's say a LinkedIn post or just something like that. I need about 225 words. And so 99% of what you say, I'll never, I'll never send to you to publish. So I'm really trying to say, what's the gem? that you have. And then you get to see. So the next day or even later that day, you get to see what did someone else who's on my side think the most valuable, the most relevant thing I said was. And you week after week, you get to see that. And, and virtually everybody, they start to see a pattern. Wow. The things that I say that are at the intersection of what's meaningful to me and meaningful to the world fit in these two or three buckets. And, and you know, I've had clients who say, I didn't really, I didn't really think I was not a do-gooder, but, you know, kind of, I didn't think that it was social equity was important to me as apparently it is. I didn't think that meritocracy was as important to me as I think it is because I, they see, it's like a mirror. They see, no, that, that's not important. This is important. And it, it, it's, but I could, I mean, personally, I couldn't do it either. I, well, maybe I can, but I, I don't like to sit by myself. I like to talk to other people. So, well, here, here is one for you. And then we're going to talk about um, Helen has written in some comments here. So, everybody, feel free to write in. I, I'm going to come to them. So, you and I both know Luke, who works with Marshall. Right? Sure. Uh -huh. And so, I was just online with Luke, who is going to help uh, us. We have a um, collaboratorium coming up. What does that mean? So it's, it's a word we've made up that we've been pushing out. So instead of doing a regular conference in the DEI space, mm -hmm. we're doing a collaboratorium, which means that we have very few speakers. In fact, we only have four speakers for the three days. Wow. Most okay. of the time is going to be spent in workshops that are led by moderators. And we're going to look at solving problems that you might have, a company might have in the inclusion space. So there's actual workshops. Right. So it's a combination of a conference and a webinar and a workshop. I love that. That's Thank great. you. 
And it's all based on no blame, no shame. Mm -hmm. You can ask me any question. You can ask me, do I get sunburned? And I won't be offended because this is about no shame, no blame. It's about people coming together and really understanding each other and being able to support organizations that are struggling and trying to include inclusiveness. Right. Okay. So my background is also design. So, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, I went to Parsons School of Design. So, you know, I asked Carla, my IT person, mm-hmm. to design the conference website to look like our training website because we train organizations in this space. Okay. She comes up with this slick design. It's magnificent. Luke says said to me, so tell me about this club term. What is it about? How did you come to this space? Mm -hmm. And I said, well, really, I said, it's hard for me to talk about because it has to do with the racism that I experienced in the corporate world. Mm -hmm. And I want to be part of the solution. And I told him the whole story and he's listening and he's starting to choke up. And I'm thinking, and it's hard for me to talk about it because I'm wanting to choke up. Right. And he, um, CB, I hope you don't mind, but your website does not speak the way you just spoke. Mm-hmm. And I said, um, um, so the, my audience knows I get calls in the middle of this. This one is from Elena. Elena, can I call you back? I'm doing a show. That's okay. I'll call you back. Bye. Bye. So um, that's my business. I need to get a call now to, to keep yeah. up. Yeah. But you know, you know, Elena, she's part of MG100. Well, she um, didn't call me, so I'm a little. Oh, offended, I'm sorry. But... Well, we, she and I are doing the collaboratorium. So okay. it's okay. timely. So um, he said, first of all, your website has a white guy on it. And two, it doesn't have any of the passion, the tear jerking language that you just talked mm-hmm. about. And I look, I'm listening to this and I'm like, what? We designed a magnificent website. Yes, yeah. it doesn't talk to anything about what you just, and I'm like, stunned mm-hmm. because my design got in the way of the story. Yep. Well, also, Luke is very good, but yes, I guess I hear what you're saying. We need people like you and Luke to say, eh, time out. Hmm. You're not communicating what you're saying visually. Right. Right. It, and it's so easy to say, like, I love this. It looks great. You know, but but here, here's the problem. Everybody else lacks context. You know what's in your head. You know what you're trying to achieve. You know, you know what your heart is. But everybody else doesn't know that. So they just come to this website and they say, I don't know, it looks great, but it looks like everybody else. You know, or you know, whatever. Yeah. It might be a tech company. I don't know, you know. It's and he said the registration is ridiculous. You're asking way too many questions. And I said, um, that's my computer is off time with my phone. It's supposed to ring when my phone rings. Oh, that was Elena again. <laughs> Okay. No, she wasn't calling me again. That was my computer telling me that I'm getting a call. 
but the call already happened. So <laughs> I have to call my friends at Apple to talk to them about this. So wait, we've got so many comments and, and Carla's on the line. So, oh my God, she's gonna use what I said against me because she warns me that the website, mm -mm, right? Okay, I'm in trouble. I, ho I was hoping she wasn't listening. <laughs> um, so Helen says the beginning, big agency, so she knows the agency you worked with. Then she writes, it sounds like you would both be great mediators. <laughs> I love it. Maybe uh, moderators, but I'm not sure about mediators. Yeah, mediators. Then she says, um, but can the design be part of the story? Yes, Helen, it can be, and I missed the boat. So um, too late now, but we'll know for next year. And then Helen writes in, Carla uh, uh, writes in, so true. And Helen writes in again, okay, that's true. So. <laughs> oh, so, I mean, so I'm not a designer, neither, you know, you know more about design than I do, but I, I, I know from being, you know, part of the creative process that it, it, it's the same thing in design, in life, in writing, in everything is like, what is most important to us and what is so if you don't know anything about me my company what's the one thing i really want you to know and and what what feelings what emotions what you know what do i want to invoke in you so you you if you're in the right place you you get that sense right away yes and 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 those of us who are close to our own work are yeah. you know yeah. it's it, it's so hard you know it's really hard to do it yourself and, you know, I often say, in fact, I said it today to somebody about the WE conference. I said, why isn't everybody on the team getting that we have to market this and how we have to market it? And here, me, <laughs> you know, with Elena leading the pack and I missed the boat. <laughs> I'm like, it's, all of us do that. That's, that's okay. Shame. Okay. <laughs> Uh, sorry, my allergies are killing me, but um, uh, I love this conversation and where we're going. It's so important to have the right, you know, I read a book years ago. I can't even remember who wrote it, but it was about individuals need to have their own board of directors mm. more than companies need it. It's your group, or as the kids say today, your posse that tells you the truth. And it, a lot of us don't have that, right? Right. right. Yeah. No. It, it, I think that's it's very true. I think that a lot of these concepts, people are like I, I described. I was that they they I can say that to somebody, and they can say, "Yeah, I should," and then they don't, and then they don't do anything about it. But I think that for for those of us who are lucky, it sneaks up on us, meaning that somehow. Um, you get that. I mean, personally, I find that having the same set of conversations every week with people who they're my client, I'm supposed to be helping them. I gain a huge amount because of the consistency of trying to explain each other's thoughts, even though I'm writing for somebody else. The only way I know how to have conversations is by saying, well, you know, I was in a similar circumstance and that was horrible and I know what it felt like. And they say, well, yeah, well, so they might say, well, what happened to you? And I tell them what happened. And and just hearing a consistent 
reaction. Like, for example, if you try and explain a new business idea to somebody, you think it's the best idea in the world and they just don't get it. Well, that's a key piece of information. Or yeah. if you say, I got the greatest idea. I'm going to help other people. And they say, that sounds like a business idea. That doesn't sound like a social good idea. That sounds like, okay, well, CV is going to make more money from that. Like say, well, that's not my intention. Well, okay, then maybe you should say it differently. How else could you say it? You know, and, and, and just having those sort of consistent interactions, like can other people understand not just what I say, but my motivations, my emotions, you know, and then the last thing, and this is the one, um, I had to, do you know Molly Chang? No, she brought up MG100. Yeah, Molly is a creator of Say It Skillfully, sayitskillfully.com. Yes, 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 I do. um, Molly, like two years ago, this this is like a 20 second conversation, and she changed my life. And 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 she she was out here uh, in Park City. Uh, We were we had a, a client we were working with, and she said, "We're just like having dinner." And she said, "What do you think this energy is when you do this?" You know, and I said, well, it, it means I'm really listening and I'm focused on what you, you're saying. And she says, no, it means low energy boredom. I'm like, really? He said, yeah, you come across as you're bored. And, and she said, you know, you can make a conscious decision about the energy you bring to a conversation, to an interaction, to a meeting. Changed my life. Absolutely changed my life. So I then started practicing like really safe. Like I'd walk into the coffee shop to pick up a nice tea. And instead of just walking like, you know, I smile when I walked in the door, I'm not seeing anybody. You know, I just smile when I walked in the door and it was like magic. It was like all of a sudden, you know, people go like this at behind the counter. And I was like, no, that was just the coincidence. And I did it again. And the same thing happened. And the more that I realized, oh, then like two months later, I said to, to Molly, well, I have this other problem. You know, what do I do about that? And she said, smile more. And I was like, that's it. And I thought she was going to tell me, you know, well, you have to say things this way. You have to think about this smile more. You just, and, and the more I've played around with it, the more I've experimented, talked to people, it's unbelievable. This change is, to me, it felt like this is half an ounce of, energy. It doesn't take like you have to lift weights for 10 years or anything. And it's astonishing. And and people, so I'll give you another example of, you know, say the 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 boss who's having 10 people in for a meeting, you know, if he or she comes in, you know, harried, looking at the watch, you know, whatever, you know, can we get going? I gotta I gotta get out of here really quickly. So he thinks he's saying we got to be really efficient and focused and make a good decision. What he's actually saying is, don't you dare waste a minute of my time. I just want you to say yes to what I want to happen. And that's the signal. So he, now you can stop people. And I have and said, this is what came across respectfully. Is that the message you want? Do you want to shut down all the conversation? And, you know, sometimes people say yes. And some sometimes they say, no, I didn't want to do that. Or then they'll say two weeks later or two months later, well, we all agreed on that strategy. And no, we didn't. You told us to shut up and you told us what we were going to do. 
Yeah, yeah. so these are really important things. You know, it, yeah. It's interesting you mentioned that because my husband and I were at Costco the other day. We got out of the car and this woman, very lovely woman, I smiled at her and she just kept staring at me. And I just smiled and she came over to me. I don't know her from the blue. And she said, I did just tell you. No, it was um, it was a different store. It wasn't Costco. No, it was Costco. Okay. And she said, I just have to tell you, you have the best smile in the world. You're <laughs> making me happy today. <laughs> I looked at my husband and I said, see how lucky you are? You <laughs> <laughs> tape recorded that moment. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, you know, um, there's a book. There's an old book that you would love to read, I think, called Body Language. Oh, sure. Yeah. By Julius Fast. Have you mm. read that one? I remember that, but I, I believe strongly in body language. I mean, uh, what's the, the woman who, uh, not the fake it till you make it, but uh, more recent. Second? Deborah Tannen. No. I'm forgetting. But the, I mean, I think that's completely true. I also I worked with somebody. Um, years ago, who did the opposite? Who, who was? Um, how do you figure out who you can't trust? You know, through in part body language, and you know, somebody who said, "What, what was it?" Um, you say, "Sure, I can do that." I catch people, and and they're like, and I'll call on them and say. So you totally disagree? And then, no, no, I agree. I said, well, but you you like this, right. no. <laughs> and it really is a tell. It, it yes. is. No, yeah. No. But but also a lot of times they'll say, I didn't realize I was doing that. Well, yes, you were. <laughs> so can, can, can I, you, you responded good to my bio that talks about dogs. Can I tell you a 40 second dog story? Please. So I'm, I'm invited to participate in this Columbia University study, which just means that I bring my dog to someone's office to do this thing. And they have a room that's empty with a chair in the middle. And it's all a grid masking tape on the floor to, so they can judge distance and all this. So I sit in the chair and they keep my dog. And then they say, call your dog, just call your dog in. And they, I call the dog in, my dog comes and wanders around a little bit, sits down next to me. Okay, a few minutes later, they take the dog out and they say, okay, go back in the room. But this time, when you call the dog, you just get like, you know, like a mad. You just imagine you're mad. Don't say anything other than, you know, here, Dex, but be like that. And they bring the dog to the doorway. And so my dog was, at the time was Dex, the 70-pound smartest dog I ever had. Comes to the doorway. He looks at me, sitting there like this. He turns around. He walks away. <laughs> <laughs> coming in and they're saying we're trying to validate that dogs read owners emotions like absolutely see so, yeah but no one's ever proven that and later on they call me and I, I think they felt that they had validated that you know in a scientific way that yeah you know what you you or i could tell anybody of course they do absolutely they can who, who even doubted that i mean well, Doubted it has not been around yeah. dogs. Right, right. Well, but but the same thing happens with people is that you don't know why you don't trust somebody sometimes. Yes. But you pick up these things like, you know, what why is he, you know, he said yes, it didn't feel like yes. Yeah. You know, or or he said yes before I even told him the cost. You know, will you agree? Sure. It costs two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Oh, no problem. You know, no, nobody says no problem to 
a quarter million dollars, at least say, why are you charging me? Or, you know, yeah. and sometimes you walk away and say, that was a yes, but it, they're not going to really not, do yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Okay. So let's, Helen is writing in some more and she says, um, reading body language is part of what a mediator does. <laughs> it really wants us to be a mediator. Yes. Helen. Thank you, Helen. I need a, Helen's I apparently need another income source. So, yeah. yeah. Helen, send the checks. We'll do it. Okay. Then she says, Paul Ekman. E K K M A N question mark. Of oh, course, he's got the course. Yeah. Yeah, a course on how to catch people in the lie. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm going to tell you an interesting ghostwriting secret. Okay. Yes, please. So, I can't tell you the client, but I can tell you that we were. I was helping this person years ago write about you know truth, lie, facts, whatever, on Facebook. When you write about lies and deception, it works really well. You get high traffic and engagement. You mean um, lies that you've told? No, like if you talk about how to catch somebody in a lie, yeah. Facebook audience loves it. You write on LinkedIn about how to catch people in a lie, almost nobody responds. Why is that difference? I I, I don't know. It's it's it was we. We kept doing this over and over again, and on Facebook it would go crazy. On LinkedIn, it'd be like nobody read it. Is it because LinkedIn is a business platform and Facebook is a social platform? I think that yeah, I think LinkedIn people come to with a bit more, you know, uh, responsibility, social conscience. You know, don't waste my time on, you know, yeah. trying to get me mad and you know. But I found it very interesting that. You know, just broadly, the two platforms, not a specific audience, they were completely different. Yeah. Well, you you know, you get that when you talk about, you know, um, TikTok is for a younger group, Instagram is for in between, and, and then you've got LinkedIn, which is the older population that's, you know, more financially sound and responsible. It's interesting how when things are released, how audiences just seg. Meant. Right. Well, the other thing I think that is important to, I mean, you know this, but on all these places, like LinkedIn, I'll talk about LinkedIn. So LinkedIn, I have an advantage because I see, um, I pay attention, maybe the better way to say it. I pay attention to what happens when I publish something under my own name. I pay attention when each of my clients are releasing whatever they do or on Forbes or Inc or wherever it is. And, and each of us over time builds up a group of followers or network, you know, connections that they expect or they rely on us for a certain type of information. So when I step, I write mainly under my own name about things like what matters most and doing well by doing good, you know, things of that ilk. When I step away from that, I get, you know, so little response when I stay with what I've been writing about for 10 years, you know, and I can push it a bit, but, you know, people come to expect and I attract the people who care about this stuff, same as you do, same as anybody does. But it's really interesting because it does become, I mean, one of my, um, I have this uh, place on my website is called Increase Your Influence. We we did with Tasha, that went over it, and uh, Tasha Yurik. And, um, 
one of my principles is expand your swim lane, which means a know what your swim lane is. What is it that, that you want to be known for and write about or talk about or do, but also don't ever let it just be static because over time you want to, you want to keep yourself interested. You want to grow. And so what's adjacent to that? And can you, you know, a, a bit without, you know, I don't want to cir- start writing about being a circus clown. You know, it has nothing to do with what I do, but to go into like the next, you know, area is important. Yeah. Uh, so I want to read, by the way, my phone is going to ring again on my computer. Uh, I just heard it. I put it in a drawer so nobody could hear it, but I think people could still hear it. Just for fun, I should call you, but okay. <laughs> hey, I'm a popular person. So Helen writes in, uh, are you sensing a theme? Laughing out loud. Yes, Helen, we're definitely sensing a theme. And then Neil writes in, I love the idea of very small actions like smiling causing large responses. So true. Oh my God. I, I, can I get woo woo on you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I also think you can do that without even having an outward sign. Like, I think that if you, if, if I have in my whatever you want to call it, being, you know, head, heart, you know, that, you know, okay. I'm just going to, you know, listen, but I'm really thinking about something else. And that's, so for example, years ago, um, I, um, I spent a couple of years. I mean, this was a theme in what I would. Mm-hmm. Um, getting uh, people to think about this, keeping three words in their head. And that is in every interaction you have with anybody, phone call, this, you know, talking to people on the street, help this person in your head. If you have that in your head, you know, so instead of saying, I can't believe this line at Starbucks is taking so long, what's wrong with those people? If you walk in and say, can I help the the woman behind the counter? You know, how can I help? And it might just be like saying, how are you? You know, I I got a, I did not hope to get a free ST, but I did a drive up a couple months ago and, you know, you go up to the window and then, you know, and when I got to the take up my iced tea, the woman said, it's free. It's on us. I'm like, why? She said, it's been a bad day. You are the only person who asked me how I was. This is in the drive up window before I got to the counter. Mm-hmm. And because I just try and do that just because why not? It takes two seconds and, you know, it's a nice thing to do. So if you have in your head a positive thought, you know, how can I help CB? Even without smiling, it changes it, because I'm thinking then, you know, can I help her make this more interesting? Can I help her? You know, maybe she didn't. Um, maybe something she said, I think I could tell, like you help me with literary psychologists. Maybe I can come up with a word. Maybe I won't think of it now, but I'll think of it in half an hour. But people can pick up on, wait a minute, her, her being is helpful it's positive it's focused and it even before but it it has to be reflecting what you're bringing am i here to help or am i here to get you know stuff done you know and sometimes getting stuff done means my agenda my focus and people pick up on that stuff too so i I really think walking into a room with you know one two three words you know i want to be supportive okay 
and and it's it's astonishing that even with that, before you smile, before you say anything, people, the way you look at somebody, if you're saying, I'm there for you, is different than, you know, why are you going to waste my time? But I'm going to play devil's advocate for a second. Suppose well, This is putting a lot of pressure on us to be positive all the time, right? It, it can't, you can go in with a, I want to be super efficient. I mean, you can do that. I'm not saying that that's never warranted. Right. But but I'm what I'm going for is suppose you're having a really horrible day. Mm-hmm. How did how do we get the support from other people to help us through this day? We can't so, always say, Oh, how's your day? How's everything going? Sometimes we're stuck in our own stuff. So right. So my my point of view would be if you go through life basically trying to be of service to other people, you being a decent person, whatever, when you need help, you should not be afraid to say it. When you I have people all the time who say to me, I can't do it today. I just I can't do it today. Can we talk tomorrow? Can we do something else? You know, not because I'm busy. I just like I've had a bunch of clients who say, I don't have an idea in my head today. I don't know what's important. I'm having a bad day. And and that's that's like one of the best skills you can have. You know, I don't expect any of us to be, you know, robots and we're always on. And, you know, and but the if you have actual relationship with people, you can say that if your relationship is purely transactional. You can't say that, you know. So it 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 really is a function of how do you go through the world, and if you're going through the world, you know, like for example, if I want you to be flexible when to accommodate my schedule, but I'm never flexible to accommodate yours, well, that doesn't work, you know. So mm-hmm. okay, so listen, I want to get to this part. How do people find people like you? Um, <laughs> Let's let's give it a short title of Ghostwriter. Right. How do how do people find you? And more importantly, based upon the story you told us earlier, how do you find somebody that you can trust to do this well? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I mean, like I'm I'm on LinkedIn. You know, I mean, search on LinkedIn. Hey, here's the thing. I think the second part of your question is the real. You know, in as with any profession, you know, like when I see people who say, ghostwriters, I mean, you know, for $5,000, I'll write your book. I think, like, do I want to buy sushi for $1.50? No. You know, like, I, I want it to be, I want the, the $12 sushi. I don't want the $1.50 sushi. You know, you want it to, it to make sense to you. Like, how much are they going to charge me? How long is it going to take? What's the process? Does this make intuitive sense to me? You know, I mean, if it's too good to be true, it's too good to be true. You know, can you, a lot of times ghostwriters don't say, like, they can't show you samples of their work because it's, you know, it's confidential, but show me something you wrote. You know, how how is is that? The reason I, 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 when my practice started, I got so, I was for a long time the most published person on LinkedIn, which meant I wrote more content on LinkedIn for probably the first five years that people could write, could publish on LinkedIn, then literally, not I'm not saying like generally, I'm saying literally 
the most of anybody in the world. I wrote and I wrote and I wrote and I wrote under my own name, not for other people, under my own name. And in doing so, people started to know who I was. They saw samples of my work. And then they asked for help based on they saw they saw 500 things I wrote, you know. And so, you know, if, if you have a, a, a writer, you know, who has no samples or say, yeah, I could do that. I haven't done it yet, but I could do that. You know, you have to be able to show somebody something. There are plenty of, you know, whether it's a ghostwriter or a copywriter or a book, you know, ghost or, you know, however you say, but it has to make sense. And then I guess the, the, the second thing would be, do they have a sweet spot? You know, like, do they write novels or do they write, you know, like there are people who write essentially, you know, kind of biographies in the sense of only your family is going to read it, your family, your community, people at church, maybe, you know, you're going to print 500 copies. There are people who specialize in stuff like that. They're good. They know the questions to ask and they don't mind. They can show you 30 books they've published because confidentiality is not a thing in that in that niche. So um, that's what I would do is just kind of use common sense. How much does personality match play into something like this? I think it does. I think that you need to be comfortable with the writer and vice versa. Um, I have no interest in Machiavellian, you know, sell, sell, sell people, you know, none. And so I, every now and then I get someone like that. I tell them I don't think we're a good fit, not in a rude way, but, you know, um, everything I do is designed to attract um, people who believe in kind of community good, not socialist, but just believe that, you know, all, all boats should rise and, you know, together. And, um, and I work really hard. A lot of times when you think, not you think, one might think that I'm, I publish something that has nothing to do with self-promotion. It does because it is expressing my values as clearly as I can. And my hope is that over time, I will con I'll be lucky enough to attract people who have some overlap in my values. And it is so easy to work with people like that. I have plenty of clients I disagree with, but on a core human level, you know, we have a lot of overlaps. And um, so somebody comes to you, let's, let's focus on the book. I, I want to make sure that, that we don't run. I have like three minutes and then I'm going to have to leave because I have a client calling at the top of the hour. Okay. And, well, what I was going to ask you was what does somebody need to come to a ghostwriter with? Is it just an idea? Is it? Well, it depends on what you want. If you want help with social media, you want to publish something once a week, you just need to pick up the phone or a book, then you you need to have, well, it depends. There are a couple of categories. You can have people who come to you with an idea or you can come to somebody who can actually help you um, tease out what might be an idea. It, it, it depends on how much work. Well, I would say a really, really, really simple thing for a book is do you have a, a, a strong expertise, something you're good at, you know a lot about, and you have 50 stories. You have 50 anecdotes, that, stories, case studies, histories, things that are interesting. If you were at a party, people would want to hear them. You have 50 stories and some expertise, you can write a book. Will it change the world? Maybe not, but 
you can write a book. If you have three stories, then you got to get 47. And and the writer will not come up with your – maybe he or she can come up with a few, but that's what makes your book your book is that you have. So I'm sure like someone like you, from your life, from all the interactions you have, you probably tell stories all day long. That's what and, – and then, by the way, a writer, the few instances when I've written books for people or with people – the ones that I have taken on are always people who are storytellers. They don't like to write, but they can tell stories. Mm -hmm. They can spin a yarn. Hey, I know you have to run, Bruce. So um, audience, we're going to end a little early today. Sorry, it's my fault, not CB's. Yeah, we had to grab him when we could, right? So um, I think I'm back on Tuesday. I don't know. My schedule has been running crazy with such exciting things. Next week, we have the last of the ACEC conference. You can get a day pass. That's the Association of Corporate Executive Coaches. Uh, We're going to have some incredible people. So sign up if you haven't. Go to the ACEC-conference.org. And with that, I've already told my secret. I'm rushing off to support Bruce talking to his client. We'll see you when we see you. Follow me. And you'll figure it out. Thanks, Bruce. Thanks, CB. Thanks, everybody. I appreciate it. It was great to talk to you. Come back again. Bye-bye.